This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio, and this is the state of the game. Yes, you heard me right. This is the state of the game. It is a new installment an installment that we at Saturday to Sunday are going to be bringing our listeners. Um, We know that here at Saturday to Sunday, we like to kind of look under every rock, try to explore the game from, you know, a tactics schematic, but also from a player coach standpoint, we like to go beyond just the understanding of what it means to your fantasy teams or dynasty teams, but what it means from an analytical lens here. We care more about, obviously understanding the player and the game and the rest to us will, will come as we explore that question. So in state of the game in this kind of special edition, will be coming out every couple of weeks. Um, we're going to bring on, you know, different guests where we have an opportunity to explore those rabbit holes, go deeper than we might go to in other editions of our podcast. You notice the seminar series was something we were looking forward to doing this summer, but it kind of metamorphosized into this state of the game. And I could not, kind of begin to think of anybody that I would rather have on more uh, than my good friend and longtime, longtime commitment partner here at Saturday to Sunday, Mr. Sean Mishka, who is the co-director of education and founder of Emergent Movement. Sean, welcome to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Your, your, your players only vest is in the mail. <laughs> my players only vest slash jacket uh, i think you know now that i've been a what is it three years of uh the, the former seminar seminar series uh now that like you said has sort of metamorphosized into to this state of the game uh series i think will be a really intriguing one because obviously we dove into some topics in the past that um, I, I think we're able to hopefully shed some light on to the nature of the game, the problems that the players face. But as I've stated throughout the years at Emergence, as well as um, with the Sport Movement Skill Conference, and, and I was so lucky and blessed to have Rhett as our very first athlete that was a guest uh, that then got to be interviewed by me. So now I'm going to be able to kind of sit on the other side of the lens and uh, listen to Rhett get interviewed by you and uh, hopefully chime in when and where I can and, and contribute. But I'm um, a very big fan of that, which what is going to unfold today because Rhett has a wealth of knowledge to be able to share. And uh, there's nobody that I like to hear talk about his interactions within the game more than the guy that you're going to be talking to today. And as Sean has already kind of alluded to, he kind of let the cat out of the bag. The surprise has now opened up in blossom. We are to say that we are privileged would be an understatement. Um, when you have a chance to work with, interact, or communicate with some of the most premier athletes on the planet, it gives us an opportunity to get an understanding of experience within a game that we could never understand unless we were on the other end of the actual sideline, bench, or between the lines, as you might say. And we are just ecstatic to welcome former Minnesota Viking and New York football giant, fullback and tight end, the man of many trades and abilities, Mr. Rhett Ellison to the podcast. Rhett, thank you on behalf of myself, the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast, and our listenership for really giving us this unique and amazing opportunity 
to share your thoughts and ideas uh, about the game and where it stands today on our podcast. So welcome, Rhett, to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Thank you, Matt. And Sean, thank you for setting this up. Um, I know you said premier athlete. I don't think Sean would describe me as that. Uh, I'm sure he has the first video of my workout with him. And uh, I'm just holding it for blackmail yet, just so you know. (laughs) I mean, Sean can attest that most people that come in to work with him on the first day, he's he's questioning that they're professional athletes. So, um, but... That's the magic. That's the magic of Mishka. You know, he like, honestly, I, I think my career would have ended at three, maybe four seasons if I, if I didn't have a Sean um, in my life, his dedication and his passion. Um, and that's, I, I know that for a fact. So uh, love seeing my guy, Sean. He's getting married in a couple of weeks. So I get to see him face to face soon, but yeah, thank, thank you for having me on. This is awesome. No, I, I, I I'm just, the relationship between the two of you is something that I know we are going to explore in depth today because I'm sure it will be very much a case of finishing one another sentences by the way that you guys go on and on and on. So I'm excited to kind of delve into this episode. And Rhett, I mean, you know, let's, you know, I don't want to bury the lead here, but I mean, you were an athlete of eight seasons in a game that is is brutal, challenging, dynamic, complex. And I know Sean would admit Yes, as a partnership together, together you guys waded through those waters, found your way, evolved. But also, it's a testament to your commitment to your craft, who you are as a human being, and who you were as a player. And I think that as we come into 2022, coming off of a pandemic, the world is kind of resetting in many ways. You know, it gives us an opportunity sometimes to distance ourselves and say, where are we? Where are we in this world right now? And where do we stand? And I think in the game of football, I think our game of football has changed. It is changing um, in some ways, good. Some other ways, maybe maybe not so good. Um, but the question is, as a former player, somebody who's played at the highest of levels throughout their career, USC, then Minnesota, then New York. I mean, you were on platforms where you were working with some of the best athletes on the planet. And, and kind of my question is, is that, when you think about the state of the game, as in football, where you were when you left the game in 2019, where you are now, and how it evolved over your career, what do you think about the game, the college game, the pro game, the health of the game on the field in terms of the quality of play, the balance? What do you feel about that as you kind of reflect a little bit on that journey as a player? And now that you've had some distance from the game, how do you reflect on that now, maybe as a former player? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think, I don't know, when you look at, like, the health of the game, the quality of football, I mean, it seems, I don't know, I'd like, while I was playing, I didn't see too much evolution in that process, you know. Um, football is football for the most part. You know, I think they they try to take less contact out of it, and, and I don't know the stats. I don't know if that's dropped injuries or not. Um, but I would say the, you know, the level of the coaching that you're getting at an NFL level is probably not what you would expect. You know, um, I think when I was in, you know, most of my techniques and concepts and and my grasp of the game was taught to me in college and it kind of ended there, you know, I was kind of holding on to that um, in the NFL. So I, I you know, I, I wish, 
you know, there was more emphasis on, I don't know, the, the details, the, the techniques. Um, Cause I think, you know, if you want a healthy game, if you want to reduce injuries and stuff, I think you just, it, most of the time you get injuries cause you just ran out of tools to solve that problem. And you, it might be how you train in the off season and you bust a ACL and a non-contact injury, or just might be, you know, missing your block or, or whatever. But I just think there's not, I don't know. It's, I just, they're missing the ball. It's like the way that the analogy I can describe it as like you're, you're coaching a boxer, you're teaching them combinations. And that's kind of the level of coaching that we get is like, all right, we're going to learn these combinations, but what happens when you're in a fight? Like, you're not just going to, all right, now it's combination one, combination two. Like, no, nah, you can't react that way. Um, and if you do, you're going to get beat. You're going to be predictable and, and stuff like that. So I feel like, you know, they're teaching us combinations, but they're not teaching us how to apply them in the fight itself. You know what I mean? And I think that would make the game healthier, would make it safer. It'd be a better game to watch, you know? Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I, I don't know much about the rule changes and I don't know if that really makes a difference. Like if like football is football and um, I think they can be doing more to make better football players. Um, so I think they're just missing the ball and some of that stuff. And, and this will probably come up later on, but that's that's the evolution of the game that I've seen is, you know, my dad played in the 80s and, you know, off season was the off season. Like he'd go to Europe for three months and not do anything or, you know what I mean? And and now it's like your off season is your time to really grow and, and build that toolbox and, and really expand your problem solving abilities. Um that's when you're just trying to take it all in because you're on your own, you know, no one's telling you what to do. Um, so I think that there really isn't an off season, off season, like you, you know, that's, you really got to put the work in to bulletproof yourself and get your mind right. Because once you're in season, it's a different animal. And like I said, the coaching is, and I, and I don't know if it's the fault of the coaching or just the, the, the way the business is run is, you know, they just, they kind of expect you to have those tools when they get you. And then they're just trying to run plays and get you to fit into the system. So, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I see it right now. No. And, I, and I'd like to kind of invite Sean into this next discussion point, because you, you, you talked about it, the off season kind of is the season of development for players today. And I, I think that's, that's fundamentally, we know that, I guess, I think, you know, that as a fan, I don't think you appreciate it though. And to hear you say that is something that validates what I believe about athletes at the highest level. You're always working, you know, despite what some may think or feel you're always putting in that time that you need to kind of even get that 1% better. And it's interesting that you talked about tools and developing problem solving capabilities, because I know we have Mr. Problem Solver with us, and that is Sean. And Sean, I mean, you know, a lot of the things that Rhett just shared with us, I hear a lot of that partnership that you guys had together in this process. And I'm curious, can you, I I mean, I know I've heard this story before, but I, I think for the listeners that may not have, how did you end up meeting Rhett and how did this come together? And how did this discussion of development as a player in that game, mm-hmm. how did you guys attack that problem together about meeting the needs and demands that really, like you said, in season, they're not giving you that time. 
Now here you are off season in between moments, trying to improve. How did you guys meet and how did you guys begin to ascertain the problems that you guys had to talk about as well as meet those demands as well? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I definitely want to give mention, not every NFL player thinks the way that Red Ellison does about the game and about his craft. Uh, so I know that he's going to be modest, as he already has been throughout the, the majority of this conversation. He will continue to be that way. But after having worked with 108 players over the last 15 years, I can honestly, honest to God, hand up to the sky, tell you that Red is the most committed to his craft that I've ever been around. And that includes pro bowlers and all pros to the most talented individuals and the most elite of athletes. Whereas Rhett, as he, you know, is, is also not, he's not making up a lie about that first workout. Um, <laughs> that first workout wasn't the greatest thing in the world. Uh, I, Rhett, I wouldn't write home to mom about Rhett's athleticism. Let's just say that. <laughs> but the one thing that I will say is where Rhett may not be an elite athlete from an athleticism and physical quality and trait standpoint, Rhett is an elite craftsman. And that's what made Rhett an elite football player. And that is obviously what it is that we're after. We're, we're attempting to solve the problems on the field on an NFL Sunday, where the performer and the environment meet one another, where the problems of the world speak to the player in certain ways. And when Rhett talks about there being a lack of development across NFL coaches, Sometimes they often just allow the player to be who it is that they are and then sort of ride their coattails to a certain degree because oftentimes they're talking about the world's best compensators, the world's most adaptable individuals, right? And so you can maybe get this false assumption that what you're doing and how you're doing it is actually contributing to that, but instead really it what they're doing on the field on NFL Sunday is only because, you know, happening in spite of rather than because of. And I know that I've said this before, you know, like uh, you take an Adrian Peterson and you put him out on the field. It really doesn't matter what coaching he's had. He's still going to be AD at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. And like what Rhett said, the game is going to present certain problems that are going to afford him certain opportunities that the rest of the humans walking the face of the planet, including the other sixteen hundred and ninety five on an NFL Sunday, just simply don't possess. But, you know, and I say all that to say this, the other thing about the position that Rhett played, particularly tight end, but obviously even in his H back fullback days, like the position of tight end is super unappreciated for how difficult the problems are because of how diverse the problems are that they face literally rep to rep snap to snap moment to moment within one snap, the things that they could be facing. I believe that besides playing quarterback in the NFL, the position of tight end in today's NFL is actually the most difficult to play because Rhett could be being asked to make a move on one of the better defensive backs or linebackers in the league on one snap. In the very next snap, he has to defend against a Chandler Jones or a JPP or a Von Miller. You know, and it's like, how do you go from this problem over here that looks, feels, and acts this way all the way over to the other spectrum when players at other positions, whether it's the offensive lineman blocking the Von Miller or whether it's a, a wide receiver or somebody shiftier than the typical tight end is expecting to get open against some of those, um, you know, coverage guys. So I, th I think that's one of the things about playing tight end in the league that 
is so difficult. And then the other side of it that Rhett mentioned, and I hate to ramble on here, but the other thing that Rhett mentioned there is about the coaching in the NFL. Usually, or sometimes, I guess I, I shouldn't say usually because I hope that this is changing, but the tight end coaches aren't often overly experienced at playing tight end in the national football league. Sometimes they happen to be an offensive quality control coach. Sometimes they happen to be a a coach recycled from a different staff. And it just happens to be a good old boys network. And you pull that guy in, like what position are you going to coach tight end, I guess. And that's why it leaves the tight ends sort of out there on an Island by themselves to then develop their craft. And that kind of brings me to, how it is that Rhett and I met because we met because one of the tight ends I was working with happened to be in the same room at the Vikings as Rhett was. And uh, we're going to see him in a few weeks um, at at my wedding as well. So we're going to see good old Cap uh, in in a few weeks, Rhett. But, uh, you know, usually what happens in that type of experience, meaning when the player comes to me, is we do have to sit down and have some true heart-to-hearts. Not only do I have to look at how he's currently solving problems on the field, but then we really have to be honest. Like, what are those gaps, and how do we want to go about attacking those? I think one of the things that was really unique about Rhett that isn't the case, it isn't the norm across most players, is he was fully willing, ready to attack anything that I put in front of him. You know, he was very inquisitive about it, which allowed him to really grasp onto some of those things and fill in the gaps accordingly when and where and how he could. But sometimes players are resistant to hearing about those gaps. Like they don't want to acknowledge that the gaps even exist. Mm -hmm. So if I present a certain weakness or gap or limiter that they might have within their craft, and I'm suggesting that we have to go about attacking it, they almost get really kind of backed into the corner and say, no, I think you're looking at this wrong. Like I'd rather do the things that I know that I'm good at because I'm not on the same page with you as far as the weaknesses are concerned. One of the things that makes Rhett who he is, is he's always attacking his weaknesses and gaps. And that's why he and I bonded in the way that we did um, and and forever will. Uh, Because that's the way I go about my life too. Like I'm trying to improve upon who I am in every way, shape or form. And and Rhett is the epitome of that. So Rhett, you, 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 you meet Sean, you guys are having this discussion, some, some probably, uh, really interesting topics here emerging about gaps in your play style and or even in the game that you're playing and, and talking about these things. Meeting Sean, going through these discussions as a player, knowing the offseason is so important, having found somebody that um, in your mind was maybe challenging you in ways that maybe you weren't challenged before. He says you've been obviously very easygoing about it. You were so accessible, willing to attack it. But I, I, how did that how did that as a former player, you're looking at the landscape of opportunities that the game is presenting to you each year. What did you think about this possibility of working with Sean through this lens? Was this something that um, you, you welcomed open arms, some apprehension? I mean, you attacked it, but how was it going through that process? And when did you particularly start to see the fruitions of that experience as a tandem where you started to say, Hey, you know, what I'm doing is, is changing where I'm going on the field and how I'm seeing play on the field. And if you could just kind of unpack some of that for us, it, it, it would be, it would be huge. 
Yeah. So, um, Cap, he's talking about John Carlson, and and uh, I just remember, you know, I mean, Cap is is not your average teammate. You know, we're in the same room, competing for the same time on the field, and he's doing everything in his power to to get me better. And um, that's something I try to do with everyone I was that I played with after I met Cap because it was just he's the man. You got to get him on this podcast. But um, I remember just watching him move. I mean, he's an older guy, and I'm like, how's this dude? moving around like that i'm like who do you train with he's like oh it's this this guy down the street sean mishka i'm like can i can i check it out like is that cool and he's like yeah go on and um and for me and this might this is you know when i look back back at it it's probably not healthy how obsessed i was with my craft um but because i was so obsessed with it i i attacked it right away you know um because you know, when I, I kind of got in that habit when I was at USC where I was never ever, I was I was never the best athlete on the field, definitely never the best athlete in the tight end room. So I would look to see who was the best. And then I'd be like, hey, you know, who are you training with or how did you learn how to do that? And, you know, you really have to through that process to kind of dissolve your ego because it's if I'm, I cared more about the craft than about my feelings. Um, so I remember when I was at SC, you know, I would, there was some receivers had a little, you know, receiving coach in, in the hood of South central. And I was like, can I, cause I was like, I, I need to learn how to run routes better. Let me join you guys and see what you guys are doing. And, and so that was kind of, that was a habit I had. It's like, all right, if I see somebody doing something that I want to be able to do, I need to figure out what they're doing. And, and John Carlson was gracious enough to let me in on the secret of uh, the movement Miyagi. Um, but yeah, I remember, I mean, I was sold, I think, day one, because leading up to that point, I was very quad dominant, as most college kids are coming into the NFL. And I had a lot of patellar tendonitis, or what I was told was patellar tendonitis, um, which comes from, you know, Olympic style lifting, pretty much every, whatever every college is doing in the weight room. And um, Sean introduced me to positive shin angle. <laughs> And this is like, this is just the warm up. Like this is, this is, I, I did my movement prep this morning in honor of this podcast, but this is just, this was like the most basic thing that Sean does. This is just to get you warm up, ready to actually do the real work. And I just remember like my knees never felt better. It just blew my mind. And it was just literally doing stationary positive shin angle, uh, lunge squats. Um, and I, and I think for the first two weeks I was with you all we did was that warm up, <laughs> and and I was kind of late to the game. Like I, I came to Sean uh, right after OTAs, um, so I only had like a like a couple weeks with him before training camp. And just going through the movement prep with him, I got to training camp and my I never got camp legs. Like I, I my I never got my knees never hurt. I was just like something is going on here. I was getting angles I could never get in before. I was exploding out of breaks like I never could before. Um, and it wasn't like we, you know, loaded up the weight in the weight room. It was literally just getting in the right angles. Um, so after that, I was like, this is, I, I will do anything Sean tells me to do. And, and you know, it, 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 except, it, except that uh, pregame workout against the Patriots. That, yes. That, that one. That I, was, that was <laughs> um I remember that. You doubted like, me crazy. and questioned me at that time. Yes, that was it. But I, but I would try. I mean, I didn't like, 
you know, I trusted him so much because I, I saw the results immediately. Um, I, I mean, teammates could see the results. So I like, dude, how are you getting out of a break like that? And I was, I'd tell him it was Mishka. And, um, you know, they'd see me doing my, you know, pregame warmups and, and, you know, making fun of me because I'm out there like 30 minutes early doing, you know, the, the, uh, the movement prep stuff. And it's not, it's not your regular warm-up, you know, that people are used to seeing. So, you know, th- throughout my eight seasons, I always got crap for that warm-up. But I remember a couple guys, they, they'd make fun of me. And then all of a sudden, they started working with Sean. They're like, I get it. I get it. And we're all doing movement prep together. And it's it, it, it was cool. But, no, it was that positive shin, shin angle that just kind of completely blew my mind because everything we're told is, no, 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 don't put that knee over, knee over the toe. And, I laugh now because is that is that knees over the toe guy that's that's getting all big now, and we always used to joke like Nike or somebody had a bug in uh, Sean's facility because he's always ten years ahead of like I remember Nike Freeze came out you're like yeah I was talking about that ten years ago now knees over the toes guy I mean we were doing this ten years ago everything that's revolutionary mm-hmm. we, he's we've been doing it so it's someone's got that bug in that office still. So let me ask you guys, as you, as you guys are talking about this, and Sean, I'll, I'll kind of bring it to you on this one a little bit to, to kind of, you know, he's walking into this room and, and here he is brand new. You're ready to work with him. And, you know, you guys are talking about how the training and connections you guys had made, you were seeing things differently on the field. Teams were noticing, you know, teammates were noticing you're making cuts at speed differently. I, I'm curious, you know, when you're on the field, how, what was evolving for you, Rhett, and then Sean, what was it that you knew needed to evolve? Because again, we tend to, I think as an analyst, you tend to create a kind of uh, box of traits that players are supposed to be indoctrinated with. Like you're born with it. There's no development. It just happens. Either you got it, you don't got it, which is just too binary and way Mm -hmm. unfair and completely untrue. You know, you're obviously, you know, a human being that is a very complex and dynamical person and you're interacting with the game in many ways. So my question to you, Sean, is to start this discussion about what was changing. Where did you, what did you see that may have needed to be changed from your, cause I know you do an insane amount of analysis on your players prior to working with them. So can, do you mind sharing Rhett's mm-hmm. dirty laundry with regards to his, uh, <laughs> Is playing that thread? Is that okay? I don't mind at right? all. Red <laughs> might not be coming to the wedding. Uh, my ego zero right now. I'm taking my ego down. All right. I'm just. I'm just okay. All right. If we're okay with that, I mean, what was it? What? What do you? What did you see? What did you see when you're like, man, this is an area where I'd love to work with. You know, Rhett as a player. Yeah, I, I guess the probably the thing that I would say I wanted him to embrace the idea of actually being a diverse and versatile weapon at the tight end position. Prior to that point, I think he himself even just viewed himself as a blocking tight end who maybe just here or there would find his way into certain plays. Uh, I remember when he and I would have conversations about different players, Barry, um, these types of players, right? Different players at his position, Antonio Gates and the like. And I would ask him, to move differently or to see different opportunities within the problems. And even early on, he himself was maybe rather 
fixed or limited in his own mindset just because of what he'd always been told uh, as far as his skill set and what he was limited on. And I looked at it and I thought, okay, well, the guy obviously played at SC at a place where at that time it was elite athletes, true elite athletes um, that were playing at SC that Rhett obviously was not only able to behave alongside of, but to outperform and make it to the National Football League. And when I watched him, I'm like, well, why don't we draw upon that experience? Some of that experience, again, from fullback to H-back to tight end and in the ways that he was being utilized at SC and the things that he was being asked to do in the National Football League. I'm like, why not be more? Why not evolve further? why not be able to do these same types of things that we see in Antonio Gates doing? And uh, I, you know, there would be times obviously on the field that I would ask him to maybe behave in a completely creative or novel fashion to, in a way to try and adapt and see the problems of the game very differently. And it was like a constant nudging to try to facilitate him seeing the world in that way. And I remember obviously in the last couple of years at New York, um, there were some moves that he made on the field that literally, even though, again, with that 108 players, and I know it's going to sound like I'm, I'm it's cliche because Rhett's in front of me right now, but I think he knows that I mean this sincerely and genuinely. Like They were the most proud I've ever been of a player because of the last seven, eight years and what it took to get there. Like some of the moves that he made um, at, on yards after the catch and receptions that he was actually like looking to make people miss. And I think just six, seven, eight years ago, if somebody would have told him like, you're going to make that guy miss in the open field and you're going to look back at him, he's going to be laying there with his ankles, bro. Right. Would have been like, you're freaking nuts. <laughs> you know? And, uh, but it wasn't that I had to believe in him before he believed it. I think it was just such a constant journey towards him self-actualizing who it is that he could be within his craft. But again, all of that was made possible because he was such an open book. He was so willing to attack those gaps. He was willing to fall off the bike literally day in and day out, out in the training environment and in the learning environment. And he was, you know, willing to explore things that he felt really clumsy, kind of naff-like doing, you know, like, I, I can't do that. Like, you're expecting to move, make me move like a Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders five eight, two hundred 200 pounds and can't make that move. Why are you suggesting I should be able to do that? And my answer to him pretty much all the time was like, well, why not? Have you tried it? Have you tried to do that? Do you know you can't do that? And so Rhett was just always willing to just grasp that. And I know one thing I want the listener to really acknowledge is how much he did put into his craft. Yes, it may have been borderline obsessive and, and that obsession turns dangerous at times or could. Um, but Rhett, it's, it's like if there were one player that I was going to emulate the way that one approached their craft, it would be Rhett for that reason. Because most players just aren't willing to go all in like that. So Matt, to answer your question, it was really to try to get him to embrace the opportunities to weaponize his craft, particularly yeah. in the pass game, uh, route running, yards after the catch, um, creativity and novelty and not trying to adhere. You already heard that through some of his answers. The true problem solver paradigm, the way that he sees and approaches his craft is oriented around becoming a problem solver. 
And uh, I, I think yeah. all of that kind of feeds into why we wanted to just harness that versatility that he had, but in ways that was eh, going to allow him to make more impact upon the game and ultimately yeah. get that second contract and, and get paid and put his family um, in, a, in a really good place for a long period of time. That was our goal. And, and right as I pass it to you, I mean, you know, I, I, I hear Sean and, you know, I embrace, you know, this type of thinking as well from an, an analyst standpoint as a scout, as a coach. And, you know, I, I'm curious as you're embracing this as a player and you are seeing the field differently. I mean, I agree with Sean when we talk about the tight end position. It's probably the position that I always find myself the most intrigued by every year when I look at players because of just the amount that they're expected to do. They're one of the few positions that are asked to do virtually everything on the field, you know, from an offensive standpoint. And I'm curious as somebody who saw themselves early on, maybe in that blocker mold, I mean, can you, can you bring yourself back to those field moments where you're like, I'm starting to see it differently. Do you, do do things start resonating with you when Sean's talking about, you know, you're making cuts you shouldn't have. You're seeing things differently on the field. You're solving those problems differently. What were some of the things you were seeing differently at your position? What were, were things that you were more sensitive to, attuned to, paying attention to? What developed in that relationship with Sean as you guys were working, as you were developing? Um, I think early on with Sean, it was kind of like, you know, you get the keys to a Ferrari. You don't really know how to drive it that well, but you just, you just want to floor it. So it was like, you know, I, I had a new confidence. Like, like Sean was saying, I, I was, I put myself in a box, you know, coaches put me in a box. And um, so I really honed in on my blocking. Um, you know, I was, that was my role and I was going to be the best that I could, could be at it. Um, and I tried to be as good as I could at the other stuff, but you know, before Sean, I was just trying to do it as good, you know, almost as good as the guy in front of me. And then after Sean, it was like, I can do it. I think I can do it better than him now. And I, and I, and I can make it me. I'm not just trying to copy how this guy plays or how that guy plays. I can be uniquely me. Um, so first it was just a level of confidence where I just, I had tools I'd never had before. Um, and, you know, eventually it got to, you know, the problem solving grew and grew and, and, you know, I had, you know, the reputation of always making the first guy miss, you know, later in my career versus in the beginning was I'd always make the first guy, I'd run over the first guy and then, you know, fall over. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I think, yeah, it was just, it was a new confidence. It was, and it was fun because I was, you know, football was, like I said, but what if Sean didn't come in the picture, I probably would have burned out just because it was the same, same stuff. And, and I, my approach was the same. And I'd get these new tools and these new ways of looking at football and these new ways of seeing the problems that I'm trying to solve. And it, it made it fun. You know, that it, it made the process a lot more fun. And, and I actually, you know, unfortunately I wasn't on winning football teams. Um, and, you know, coming from USC, I was obsessed with the destination. I was obsessed with winning the championship. And that's what I was. My mindset was there when I got to the NFL, but I was like, oh, that's, this is different. You know, like we're, <laughs> we're losing a lot. And, and uh, so I really fell in love with the process and, and, you know, 
Sean gave me the tools to really enjoy that and, and, and the tools to become a player that I didn't think I was capable of, you know, and I think Sean really pushed me. He definitely pushed me past my comfort zone, you know, um, way past it. And eventually came, became comfortable for me to be in that position. But, you know, if it wasn't for Sean, I, I, I don't Like I said, I'd probably be a three and out, four and out type of guy. And I, and I would I would invite you guys because now, you know, I, I want to be respectful of your time and your generosity here. And I'd like to kind of ask you guys to, to maybe transition, not necessarily switch gears entirely, but take a look a little bit, Red. I'll start here with you on this one. You know, the landscape of problems, as you guys have talked about, you know, listeners of this podcast for sure have heard problem solving as a central key note of what we do and look for in players. We look for problem solvers, not for, you know, the prettiest gymnasts. You know, we're not looking for the best, you know, aesthetic, pleasing looking way of doing it. We, you got to be effective in what you're doing. So, Red, if you could kind of take me into that world as you kind of reflect back on, you know, what it means to be a tight end in today's game, it, it, you know, where you were, then where you ended up and, 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 and where you ended up in terms of your overall skill set and, reflecting on that what what do you think today's tight end is in football i mean is there one definition are there many um does it come down to authenticity i mean you know how would you if you had to mentor the tight ends of tomorrow in the nfl and they invited you to speak to them you know what are some of those words you would talk to them about in terms of the position the demands what you have to be as a tight end or even a top high school athlete that might be thinking about the tight end position because they're six, five and they might be, you know, 220 pounds now. And they're like, Oh, I don't know. I mean, you're going to be a big wide receiver or maybe you'll play tight end. You know, what do you, what do you think about those landscape of problems that they will face and how would you articulate to them what they need to be aware of as they move forward in their careers? Yeah, I mean, I think the the tight end position, like you guys said, is a very unique one. Um, and, you know, I'd always tell guys, like, you have to know the game inside and out if you want to be, you know, a well-rounded tight end. Um, but also at this, you know, there's very few well-rounded tight ends. You know, that's – when I think of the modern tight end, it's becoming more receiver-like. And it's been like that for a while. Like, you kind of have that receiving guy and you have that blocking guy. You know, there was guys like there was the Heath Millers of the world, the Todd Heaps that that did it all, you know, and pretty much them. And then everyone before them, that was just the tight end position. You were asked to do a lot of things. And I think we've kind of shifted to let's just have this guy run routes, score touchdowns. Let's have this guy, you know, shift around, move around, um, block and stuff like that. So I, I think, you know, ideally you just want to be a, a all around football player for me, it was just like, where can you, I want to, I want to be available wherever you can plug me in. Um, and I want to be effective and make an impact wherever you plug me in. So, you know, with, if I was telling a high school tight end, I mean, I would just, you gotta be, don't, don't put yourself in a box, I guess, you know, like they're going to, they're going to try to put you in a box. Like, Hey, you're a receiving tight end. You're a blocking tight end. It also depends on the motivation of the athlete, right? Like, if they want to be, you know, they, they, they want the attention, they want the touchdowns, they want the stats that probably tell them, all right, well, they get really bad at blocking and really good at running routes and hope that you have the genes to push you through. Um, 
but for most of us, it's, you know, you got to get good at everything and to, to not put yourself in a box and, and uh, yeah, just see it's, it's a very important position. Um, you know, the teams that utilize their tight ends have a lot of success and they always have um, because it's, it's a lot of times it's a mismatch nightmare also because tight ends are so used to different problems. They have to run against, they can run against a DB, they can run against, double coverage, a linebacker, sometimes an end drops on them. Like there's safeties, like there's so you're, you're going against every kind of body type. Um, you're trying to find holes in different zones. You got short routes, medium routes, long routes, like you're getting a little bit of everything. And then you got to, you're throwing blocking on top of that where you're blocking all these different types of people. And um, you really get exposed to a lot of problems. I mean, I don't know if it's the most problems, you know, I would say the running pack has, probably probably the most i don't know the most dire problems or i don't i'm trying to think of a better word where their their problem solving is is uh a lot more physical because they got a whole you know box of defenders trying to take them down and and um tight end you're just a piece of that puzzle you know when you get the ball in your hands then you got to deal with that but um yeah i would just don't put yourself in a box um really enjoy the process and um, I don't know, be, be authentic. You know, I think a lot of kids, you, you know, you, you try to mimic somebody and that's great. We all did as kids. Um, and, you know, very rarely does it, if like you trying to copy somebody else is going to lead to a lot of success. I think Kobe Bryant might be the only exception to that rule um, with Michael Jordan, but, you know, try to be authentic and uh, just be you Um but you need the confidence to do that. And that's, you know, Sean really gave me that confidence to be me and, and to be authentic to my own self and my own skill set and, and my body type, all that stuff. Like I was, I wasn't just trying to be like that guy. I wanted to, I, I wanted to be like me. I wanted to play football. Like I can play football. Um, so yeah, don't put yourself in a box and, and be authentic to yourself. And Sean, before I pivot over to you, I do have one thing I just want to ask Rhett, and maybe this will feed into maybe Sean, some of the things that you'll comment on. You know, I think one thing that does go unheralded about the tight end position, I mean, you talked about, you know, kind of the the diversity of problems that, you know, the running back position faces. And I would still argue that you've got them licked in some ways. And the reason why I say that is because the intentions of a tight end change snap to snap. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not speaking, obviously I'm not speaking from experience. I don't think we ever met on the football field. So, I mean, but I, 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 I'm just saying is, is that I feel like at the tight end position, your intentions from one play to the next go from having to block because we need you to maybe chip and release to, I actually need you as an extra blocker because they're blitzing to no, 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 no. You're going to have to release on this route because you might be the guy who's going to push the chains for us to get that next first down because we need it. So, I mean, I'm just curious. You talked about having to those intentions constantly changing from one play to the next snap to snap. And even as, as Sean I know promotes quite often, even within the snap, when you're talking about how the problem itself changes, you talk about being plugged in with many players. I mean, I wonder, like, how does that change as a player and how how was being this authentic self and how some of those skills played a role 
in being able to handle some of that diversity across the board where your intentions are changing each snap. The player personnel you're facing is changing. Now you're in, now maybe you got another guy with you on the outside. And now all of a sudden we're just one big, we're on goal line and we're just trying to push it forward and get seven and sit. I mean, like we're just trying to move the ball to, oh, you know what? We're going to audible. We're going to change. We're going to flex you out. We're going to just put you in the slot. We're going to do things like how did that, how did that type of expectation at the tight end position, how do you, how do you manage that snap to snap is, is there, is there something that, you know, I think as we watch tight ends on film, are there things that you remember or that we should as, as fans, people consuming the game should recognize as being really challenging in that regard that maybe we don't have a full appreciation of. Well, I think, you know, a tight end, should be a conceptual learner first uh, when it comes to any given play. Like as a tight end, you should understand what are we trying to achieve as a whole here versus just my route versus this coverage or this, this player. You know what I mean? Um, I think it, that's huge. And, and it seems common sense, but that, that's rare. You know, there's not a lot of guys that really fully grasp the concept and that, you know, sometimes that's just because of coaching and, and they're just like, hey, I need this guy just to make sure he gets this play right. So we're just going to put the blinders on. Let's focus on this. Um, but when you see the concept, you just you're just a piece in the puzzle um, and you have the confidence to line up anywhere. And you're, you expect, like you said, there's every play has got a kill or some kind of audible. So you, you're expecting all that to happen. And it's really the mental prep, the, like the, the student of the game that you are that prepares you for that. And it's, you know, you have to handle the techniques and, and, and the problems that are solving. But, um, yeah, it's I think being a conceptual learner is the first step because it's like Sean sent me an article with the, the, the giant tight ends. And it's kind of that idea of like you're getting the freedom. You, you understand what the play is trying to achieve and you get to decide what the route's going to be. You're, you're starting to think like a quarterback. Um, and even at, and you also have to think like a running back too because you a lot of times you're a fullback or an H-back and you have to read the box like they would read the box. And, and um, so, yeah, I, I, I know what you're saying where it's like the intentions are completely different. I just – the physicality of a running back position is, you know, that's a whole other animal of problem solving because that's – and, and I always think of, you know, the goat of all goats, Barry Sanders was running back. And, uh, <laughs> and he's the, the, the purest, most evolved form of a football player we've ever seen. And he was in those, and he became that way because he was thrown with problems that, you know, only he could handle and he figured out and in a situation that, that made Barry Sanders. So, um, but yeah, I get it. It's just, yeah, that's, that's why I say like running backs because, it's a physical sport and getting hit hard a lot is can wear you down. And, and uh, we don't get hit as hard as those guys um, consistently. If I, if I could, Matt, obviously you mentioned at the very onset of the discussion that Rhett and I might be able to finish each other's sentences. When you asked him the question, I wrote down four things uh, about the developmental philosophy, if you will, of, of tight ends. And I wrote diversity of movement problems. 
I wrote bringing one and being willing to be at the challenge point to stretch and grow. I wrote down authenticity and being willing to absorb what is useful. And I think Rhett checked the box on each and every one of those, ironically <laughs> enough. So uh, I finished his sentence or he did the same to me. I'm not really sure which one it is, but- uh, And we did I, not, we didn't coordinate. We no, didn't, we didn't coordinate we any of that, obviously. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's maybe more so subliminal messages that I've been feeding in <laughs> Rhett's head since 2013. Um, and, and hence the reason why he was bragging on my man, Barry, there. Um, just to, he feels as though that's probably at least just going to give him a few brownie points uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. But I think the, the things that, you're, that you heard Red hitting on there, um, where authenticity is sort of leading the way and driving that bus, right? Where finding one's own best model of who they're supposed to be it is one of the things that we've embraced. And when I say we, I mean, Rhett and I have embraced for since I've known him, where it was like, we want to take your form of life, who it is that you are and how it is that you see the world and allow it to grow and evolve through all these exposures, all these experiences, him going back to his skateboarding years as a punk kid, you know, like we wanted to actually like bring that back into the learning environment. Like, what is keeping you from moving in this way? Can you move this way? Again, I remember Rhett one in, what year would have that been, Rhett? 2015-ish or so, where you got your skateboard back out and you'd be skateboarding around the field, out to the field. Like, that was when Rhett's growth was really like full in full bloom. Like, when a player can actually harness that fun of the process and and who it is that they're trying to be and aspiring to be not trying to pretend to be somebody else, like just being who God made him to be and, and harnessing that and embracing that and saying like, I'm going to be totally comfortable in my own skin. Even if that means that someone might look at it a certain way, like with the movement prep or, or someone might try to box me in over there. Like the thing is at the tight end position, it's, it is evolving. It's evolving because of the mismatches that, that offensive coordinators are creating with the tight ends because of their diversity of solutions or their abundance of, of strategies and solutions and their ability to create yards after the catch and make people miss and, and do these types of things that we might have seen before in spurts or in snippets. But like I said, I think one of the things that Rhett has hopefully tried to convey to the listeners out there is this Bruce Lee idea of using one's own experience, absorbing what is useful, discarding what is not, and adding what is uniquely your own. I think as my career and my own form of life evolved and Rhett's alongside of me and any other players that I was partnering with, you sort of seen them being more willing to absorb what was useful from this player discard what they didn't view as being overly useful or productive for themselves in the way that they viewed the world. And then, of course, adding what was uniquely their own. I mean, it's why, you know, Rhett harnessed um, some of the ideas of Jeet Kune Do and martial arts and putting that into the mix, like knowing full well, yeah, NFL coaches maybe have gotten some things right when it comes to blocking people, but what can we learn from other crafts? What can we learn from other arts? What can we learn from other sports? Rhett and I would often have conversations about, like I said, skateboarders, uh, parkour, uh, basketball players, you know, so on and so forth. Like we're trying to take whatever we can from these other crafts and these other crafts, men and crafts, women, 
and then decide what might be useful. What could you adapt here? And, and I think that's where we see the tight end position going a bit too. Um, you know, Rhett now obviously has been retired for three years, but one of the things that has come about since then has been the tight end U where all the tight ends are now getting together in these last two years. Like that would have been really fascinating to see because I think Rhett would have not only been able to contribute a lot to that type of group, but he would have been able to get some things from them. And those are the types of experiences um, that I think we need more of in order to grow the state of the game or the health of the game as well. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's incredible. And I, I, I kind of want to take what you were just saying, Sean, about tight end you, where we are now, where we're going, and kind of maybe ask both of you to kind of share with our listener base a couple of couple of takeaways, if you wouldn't mind, some your thoughts on these two questions. Um, you know, Red, I'll, I'll go to you in terms of number one, being a former tight end, having played the position your whole career, as well as fullback, and also just seeing the game through the lens of a player. What would you ask? You know, those those analysts, those scouts, those people that are trying to evaluate talent, understand it better. What would be something you would ask them to look closer at at the tight end position? What would be something you'd ask them to look closer? That would be one question. And the final question is, what would you ask of future coaches, coaches at any level, to understand about coaching as we move into the future players in football? What would what would you say to coaches, players, um, as well as the analysts? Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. Um trying to think of like what, you know, what you could tell the analyst. I don't know. Sean, what are you thinking? I I would say first and foremost, move beyond just the physical traits and qualities. Yeah. Um, You know, because as I made the mention earlier, and this was no knock of disrespect towards Rhett, like he didn't have elite athlete qualities or traits, but what he did have is elite football player qualities and traits. Like, how do we look through the game through that lens to, to make sure that we don't have the rets of the world slip through the cracks? Because it could have easily happened, Rhett. Obviously, like, you could have, in my opinion, and should have been drafted higher based on your football playing ability, right? Like, not just as a, as a fullback, H-back, eventual tight end, but like your ability to be a football player. Like one thing that didn't come up in this conversation as of yet would be the special teams that you played and what you brought to the table there and how obviously we aim to develop some of those things. And it wasn't just um, blocking, right? It was, you had to pursue people. You had to chase people down. You had to tackle small guys in space. Like these were things that you had to do to be on field and to contribute to your team winning. Like how do we have analysts that, just fall in love with physical traits and qualities. What happens when somebody's running in their underwear at Indianapolis? Yeah. Like how have we gotten to that point where that's the gauge? And I, that's the part that worries me about some of the games. Still, we see like yeah. a Kyle Pitts at, at with the Falcons who is a glorified receiver turn tight end. He just happens to be used in a tight end type of role. Right. Uh, for the most part. I mean, he's, he's used to create mismatches all across the field, but I think what we're going to find is that we this is a copycat league, as as we all know, all three of us know, and people are going to aspire towards certain physical traits and qualities even more so. They're going to salivate and get enamored by those things when 
that might not actually be the filter we have to look at tight ends or any position through. Yeah, I mean, I think you're you're spot on, you know. But I was just trying to figure out, like, how do you get a scout to to see a lot of those intangibles about a player? Because um, a lot of that stuff is is at the practice field. It's in the it's in the weight room. It's on the field. It's it's stuff that you're not seeing. Whereas the physical traits, like, all right, this he's this big, can rep that much, and run this fast. He'll probably be good. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. I think I wish it got to the point where the combine wasn't even a thing because it's pretty much you untrain becoming you you're you're untraining your football skills just for the combine then you have to quickly retrain as before you get to training camp as a rookie um but yeah i just wish there was a better way to analyze football players and not just the physical traits you know and i'm sure there's scouts that know how to do it well and and teams that know how to that have figured it out um but yeah, I just wish there was more emphasis on the football playing ability um, of any football player. No, and I and I can appreciate that, and I and I know that as a former player and as somebody who um, has played the game at the highest levels, and and Sean, you yourself, even having been a former player, you your high school years playing, and uh, and also working with players at the highest level. Um, you know, I, I think the, the the salient point that you're both sharing, which is 100% accurate, is what are they doing in the game to adapt to the moment? Because that's going to reveal more than anything you're going to be able to tell outside of that moment. Now, to your point, Rhett, you're right. We don't ever get to see anything off the field, which is something that I know um, there's more than meets the eye beyond anything we ever see in game. Um, but in that game, in that moment, I know players like yourself and the vast majority of your team, they're locked in, they're ready. They're trying their best. At least they're doing the best they can in that moment. And I feel like those are the only moments. And Sean, you've talked about this before the game will reveal what the game needs to reveal about Mm -hmm. who you are as an athlete and as a player. That doesn't mean how good you are, but who you are, how you see the game, what it says about you and how you attack the game itself. And, and that's really, I think that the biggest takeaway that I heard from both of you gentlemen, as an analyst, who's continuing to try to re- refine, aspire and, and understand their own craft. Now I'll, I'll leave it, you know, Sean with you, if you could talk about this and, and Red, I'll let you finish it off in terms of moving into the future and, you know, improving the game, you know, mo- you know, mentoring future coaches, what you hope they could or should look to try to achieve. I know, Sean, we've had you on a previous episode. You and Tyler have spoken at length about a a very amazing paper that you uh, both have published. And if you wouldn't mind sharing that information one more time and and maybe something to kind of take away from this discussion that might tie in and for future reading, that would be wonderful. And and Rhett, then I'll bring it over to you as well. Yeah. You know, the main concept that I wish more coaches would embrace would be the idea of aliveness which usually relates to a certain degree of messiness, right? Rhett mentioned earlier, um, being able to go from problem to problem. Obviously, that has been sort of a theme that has been threaded throughout this conversation. But this idea of being alive and having an alive skill that emerges because of that, which what the problem of the environment on a football field is asking of oneself. And if they started to have practice activities where aliveness was at the center of that, 
where they might allow for some embracing of that messiness that we know that will ensue on an NFL Sunday. Um, they might allow players to become more robust or more bulletproof, more resilient to being able to handle some of those perturbations that come with that aliveness and the messiness there to fall out, to let players fall off their bike a bit so they can learn and grow and adapt. So the adaptability is the thing that's embraced because I think one of the themes, one of the things that is threaded throughout the conversation as well is the best tight ends are often the most functionally adaptable. And what I mean by that is they end up finding themselves into effective solutions, even if it doesn't look a certain way. You know, the, this idea that everyone should look the way that some other high level performer has looked when they execute some solution to a problem, I think needs to go off the wayside. And, and so as opposed to, you know, Rhett and I could look at an Antonio Gates being asked to do something in the Chargers North Turner offense, which Rhett was playing under here in Minnesota. And we could say, well, let's look at what Antonio Gates did to get separation and get open against this coverage or this on this route. But Rhett isn't Antonio Gates. So we'd have to think to ourselves, what can we take from Gates's fingerprint? and allow that to be absorbed by you and your craft. And, and I think that's what coaches could embrace there as well. So not only the aliveness and setting up the problem so the player gets the exposure to a wide variety of problems, and then they can become sensitive and adaptable around it, but also how do we coach players to become their best selves, their best version, their best model? And, and I, you know, that's obviously easier said than done as well, but that's where our paper um, that, that we obviously were on an episode with back in June uh, about applying an ecological approach to practice design in American football. That's where we centered, obviously, the majority of our discussions and our practical applications. But the thing that coaches could easily take from that is the aliveness, is the authenticity, and ultimately then hopefully emerging from that for the player is the adaptability. Yeah, I mean, I would agree with all that. Um, I think really just, yeah, like creating a live, more live like situations. Um, but I would say embracing the messiness, you know, of for the players and the coaches. You know, so many, so much of practice is about perfect reps versus perfect looks. And even if coaches are like, you, you have a deep, you have a defensive coordinator right across the field, like have him scheme, give him your plays. Give him and let him scheme the worst possible looks that you have to adjust to, like simple stuff like that. Where, yeah, it's going to be a headache in the film room, but you're going to get a lot better, a lot faster. Um, and I just think that that embracing the messiness, you know, not afraid to fail, is is hard to find because it's coaches. If they got a guy making a mistake, they got to answer to the head coach. They're worried about their job. Players, same thing. Like we make a mistake. Like you're so afraid to make a mistake, and you know that's what Sean alluded to. So much of the off off season was just falling off the bike over and over and over again. Um, and it takes a different mindset. You know, some guys can't handle that, or um, and some guys embrace it. Um, it's a level of humility. But I just think, you know, if there was more embracing of that messiness and creating a live situation. Cause I, you know, nine times out of 10, the looks we practice on, uh, on Wednesday are not the looks we get on Sunday, you know, especially with, you know, Adrian Peterson and, and, you know, our offense was very simple with him and, and it was effective. Um, but we would get different looks, different, you know, things that we'd never seen before. And, and instead of waiting to halftime to figure it out, 
you know, let's throw that stuff um, in there and practice. And like I said, it, it just takes, it takes a little more effort. It takes a little more stress maybe on the coaches, on the players, but it's, it, it really just depends. Like if you're a craftsman and, and, and you want to get better, it's those, these are things you have to embrace. And I just think those are things that, that we as players run from and, uh, you know, coaches as well. So I just, I wish there was more of, I don't know, that, 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 that type of environment, you know, like a coach creating a comfortable, not a comfortable environment, but an environment that, you know, if, if you mess up, but you're going, you know, it's not because of a lack of effort. It's just because of a lack of problem solving ability. Um, you're not going to get reprimanded for it. I mean, if it's a lack of effort, that's, there's no excuse for that. But if it's just a lack of understanding and, and not like not never seeing that problem before and not exactly sure what you were supposed to do, that's a different thing. And I think that should be I mean, if I was a coach, that's what I would try to push every day to get these kids really comfortable in uncomfortable situations, really adaptable in those situations. And and the more they're exposed to that, the more authentic they're going to become, the more confident they're going to become. Um, so, yeah, I agree with everything Sean said. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would, I would say to you, gentlemen, I mean, I, I can't begin to say thank you enough for um, everything that you've shared. And, you know, I, I think the things that I, I kind of sit with me as, as we're having this discussion with, uh, as I have my, my son chiming in, obviously, as we're having this discussion. Uh, yeah, you know, I think the biggest things I take away from this is, as you said, embracing the messiness not being afraid to be pushed off the bike as my son who's sitting next to me will be falling off his bank bike many times. Um, I think that's, that's the biggest thing is, is being able to embrace that, that journey. And, and that is the thing I think as a coach, as I coach youth athletes as well is allowing them to explore, creating that, that safety in exploration. So I just wanted to say thank you both so much for everything um, that you've been able to share here uh, this afternoon. Rhett, it has been a, an absolute privilege to have you on the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. And I know, I know I speak for my listenership when I tell you that this has been a journey between the lines into the game in a way that I know that we have never had the privilege of doing. So thank you for bringing that, that understanding and experiences to us. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Have me back whenever you want. This is great. And, and no, I, you're always welcome. And listen, I, as a, as a, as a giant fan, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of your style of play. So we will talk about that another time. But Sean, Sean, as, as always, um, I think you bring such an excellent framework to such a very large, big discussion, which is this understanding of the game how to communicate it, how to understand it, how to interact with it. And as always, my friend, it is a privilege to have had you on as well. I know that everything you're doing at Emergence is is not just cutting edge, but is is really an opportunity for everybody to learn more about themselves as a coach and as um, an analyst. So thank you so much, Sean. 
Well, and, uh, and we'll definitely say that thank you for inviting me along for the ride because this was uh, definitely the most fun podcast I've ever had because it's the very first one that I've gotten to do alongside of an athlete that I obviously um, not only partnered with for a significant period of time, but consider uh, one of my very best friends um, and, and somebody that I personally look up to uh, because of what he's meant in my life. So I, I definitely appreciate you, Matt, inviting me along for the ride alongside of Rhett and Rhett obviously being so gracious and and willing to uh, offer his perspective and his insight it's been as enjoyable of a of a conversation and discussion as i've ever been a part of uh publicly recorded like this no and you know what this could have gone on forever because there were so many avenues of discussion that we 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 touched on and we skimmed over um and obviously we did that out of respect for everybody in the in the in the pod but i mean there's just so much here and I hope everybody that was listening, this is the first episode of the state of the game. And uh, as you can see, chaos is always happening around us as well as within this discussion. So there will never be a dull moment when this episode comes in. Is a one more thing. As far as the evolution of football players, I think we're actually devolving because of the goat right there behind Sean, Barry Sanders, no one's come close. So evolving schematically, but athletically there's no one's touched that dude so we need someone to 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 push the limits well you know what's interesting when you talked about specialization i'm not sure specialization is the best way i i don't know if we're limiting ourselves when we specialize ought too much it's great to have people that are great at something and and highlight that but you talked about specialization at the position what if we're missing out on things just because you know you didn't kick them off the bike early enough and say hey you got to figure out how to do more who knows what we missed out on who knows what you miss out on? Yeah. So, to, you know, to everybody out there, everybody at this podcast, Rhett, Sean, myself, and the rest of the team at the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast, again, thank you so much for joining us. And please join us next time as we take you from Saturday to Sunday as we explore the state of the game. Good night.